When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. And today's guest has unusual mentors. It's Dan Montgomery, and he's got a new album out called Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads. But we start off reminiscing about the great state of New Jersey and how local radio was a huge influence on him back when stations would play a wide variety of genres and styles. He started playing in bands at the tender age of 14, and Dan gives a few wild stories from some fun and some frightening gigs. But after years of playing in bands and developing some unhealthy habits, he took time off from playing. That's when he got into tour management and it actually helped him get clean. He talks about ill-fitted moves for marriages and jobs that didn't work out, but did help his writing, how a gig in the yarn store ended up in marriage, and how his biggest mentor started out as his meth dealer. I also find out who the Von Crack family singers are. Dan's sound has always straddled the line between country and roots rock, playing a lot of acoustic guitar. But buying a Dan Electro guitar online on a whim gave him a ton of inspiration and solidified the electric sound on his new album. It's definitely one to check out. You can do that at danmontgomerymusic.com, on Bandcamp, or look him up on Facebook. Look us up at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram, Performance Anxiety on Facebook, or reach out at theperformanceanxietypod at gmail.com. We like to get coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety and merch is available at performanceanx.threadless.com. Now prepare to possibly meet your new mentor in Dan Montgomery on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Ready up? Right, this is Dan Montgomery here in Memphis, Tennessee. Got a new album out called Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads and really happy to be talking about it here on Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea and... I hope you enjoyed it as much as, as I did. Cool, thank you. If you can put up on my Jersey accent, that's fun. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thank you for that little bit of patience. My dogs are, uh, I don't know. They're uh, one, One's pretty smart. The other one's pretty <laughs> not so smart. But yeah, we've got a we've got a dog and three cats. So. Uh, well, they've both <laughs> figured out how to get out of the kitchen den area that we try to keep them in when I do this, and uh, it gets a little more challenging every time I do it. I have a question, question for you. I'm really untechnical. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this thing, but all I'm seeing is me. How do I get rid of me? Do you know? Uh, try swiping to the left. Or 
touching there your you there you got it all right oh yeah <laughs> now i see your screen all right we just have to do it without seeing i guess sorry <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, it's just me again. Okay. Uh, so you can, you're okay on your end, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are you seeing instead of me? I'm seeing me, which is <laughs> <laughs> really off-putting. Um, tap, the, just tap. Oh, wait, the I think that was a, no, no, it's not an idea. Okay. Are you good on your end? Yes. Oh, um, there you go. Okay, cool. We're, I'm shut down. Okay. So I can see you. Sorry about that. Okay, cool. No problem. No problem. You know, it's different on every platform too, how how things change. Oh, I know. It's like every yeah, like like tomorrow, the next day after you want it's on uh Skype audio only or something. And it's like and like I said, I'm really on technical, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, like promoting a record, I'm also learning a lot of like stuff I should learn. <laughs> I would say the, the the one time I regret not having kids is when I have like computer or phone problems. Yeah, ex- tell me about it. Or, well, I mean, my kids are able to to help me, but I, I know what you mean. Exactly. And but then they look at you like, you, how do you not know this? How old are your kids? Eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. Okay. Yeah, I had a friend posted this thing recently. She was saying about. Yeah, she's probably like somewhere around 30 and some young kids and they were getting ready to go on a trip. She said, just to be safe, she printed out some maps and her kid's like, what are you, a pirate? <laughs> <laughs> it just never occurred. You couldn't like be on your phone and figure it out. You know? Oh, man. It's, it's just changed so fast. It's ridiculous. Oh, I know. When I started touring, you know, I, I was a, a sound man for a band. Uh, in the eighties and you know, none of that technology was there. So when I started touring, I still didn't even have a cell phone or anything. And my then wife was just freaking out about how you yeah, you know, how can you do that? And I'm like, I've always gotten where I need to go. I never missed a show yet. Yeah. Know, but but now everybody expects you to be instantly yeah, able to contact them. So it's a different world. It is. I don't particularly care to be contacted all the time, no matter where I'm I at. know. I mean, the greatest invention of my lifetime, I think, is caller ID. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. And, and now I get ones on my phone that just says "scam likely." Like, oh, yes. Excellent. That's. I had a funny one that came up "scam likely," and it was my. It was from like a paper. So it was my ex-wife calling for money. <laughs> I just love. Well, it's not likely. It's pretty much a. a, a <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Definite scam. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you're in Memphis right now, right? Yeah, I've lived in Memphis for about tw- uh, 20 years now. Okay, but that's not where you're from originally. You, you, you're from South no, Jersey? I was, born, I was born in Philadelphia, and then my I was the last of four kids. We moved to South Jersey right after I was born. So basically, I grew up in, in South Jersey, a town called Pensacola, which is right next to Camden, New Jersey, yep. which is the river and in Philadelphia. So yeah. So basically, like, like, like especially since The Sopranos and... Things like that. If you say you're from New Jersey, people start referencing all this North Jersey stuff. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it really, yeah, I, I don't, not in a political way, but it's almost like the state should seceded yeah. in the two a long time ago. <laughs> but, but I think that I really think that the arguing point was who was going to get Springsteen and who was going to have to settle for Bon Jovi. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Jersey too. I spent like 13, 14 years there in the, right in the center of the state. So we're at right. On the border of Somerset and Hunterdon counties. So, oh, okay, sure. So I was in Branchburg. So it was okay. Yeah, went to went to high school in Somerville. 
Okay, sure, sure. So, so, so I'm familiar. With- so, so before we get any further in this, are you South Jersey or North Jersey? I we always said it was Central Jersey. We kind of uh, didn't like either of them. Okay. So, <laughs> take a side, my friend. Oh, we straddled the line, but that was the, everybody in the area. We're just like, no, we're Central. Everybody from South Jersey, it was like, you might as well have been south of the Mason-Dixon. And everybody from North Jersey was like New York. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and people in North Jersey really look at us like we're, we're you know, hillbillies. Yeah, so. I know. It's ridiculous. But, you know, it's funny because a lot of people are like, um, especially a lot of my earlier records, they're much more acoustic-based. And, yes. you know, and people are like, well, where did that come from? New Jersey. I'm like, South Jersey has a huge country and bluegrass uh, world in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the 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 world's oldest, or at least the country's world's oldest, country's oldest continuous running rodeo is in South Jersey. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, in, in Cowtown. Yeah. Oh man, Cowtown Rodeo. That's funny. See, I some of the biggest country music fans I knew ever, and I, I lived in Alabama for ten yeah. years, and some of the biggest country music fans I've ever met were some friends of mine from South Jersey. So. It, oh yeah, yeah, it was a huge scene. I, mean, I played in lots of country and bluegrass bands here and there over the years because it was just there was more gigs doing that at, at one time than than doing punk rock or anything wow but country music isn't what you started with so you started playing when you're well i guess i should ask when when did you start playing music and, and what was your first instrument i mean just a guitar there was a piano in my house but i never really learned to play it or anything i just recently got one again and so i'm trying to Learn that just to expand my writing, not to not to be a piano player. I don't think by any means. I I tried one song live uh, recently. To, I got by on charm. We'll say that. <laughs> but guitar would be my answer. My brother played, was two years older than me. We shared a room, and he played guitar. And I wasn't allowed to touch his guitar, but he had friends and I didn't. So he would go out and play, and I would play his guitar. So <laughs> and he, I remember he had two songbooks. He had a there was two songbooks in the house. He he had this giant. Paul Simon complete songbook, which is like every time I looked at it, it was like eight chords for every syllable, you know. Oh, and then, yeah. And then my mom had a Hank Williams songbook. And I was like, of oh, this I can get with. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but radio-wise, I grew up when it was still AM radio. And I had two older sisters who are 10 and 12 years older than me. So they grew up with like, yeah, you know, one was really obsessed with doo-wop and all that kind of stuff, the Philly, you know, soul world. Yeah. And my other sister was very much into, you know, the British invasion thing. She was right at that age and all. And then, so I grew up just, you know, Philly AM radio was, you know, it was just, you know, you would hear the Beatles and the Stones next to each other, but you'd also hear Johnny Cash or the Supremes on either side of the Beatles and the Stones. Right. So I, it never occurred to me how to do one thing or another, you know, and, and most of the musicians I listened to, if they had long careers, they usually, you know, it's it's spider webbed out into different things. You know, you basically you either do one thing your whole career or you do a lot of things, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out. 
because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. And so I started playing when I was in bands when I was 14. I was always the youngest guy. Okay. And, um, but it was, you know, in New Jersey back then, uh, South Jersey certainly, it's almost probably still not that different now. You had to play cover music. It was almost illegal to play original music Uh-oh. in Philly. And it was funny, 10 minutes away in, in Philadelphia, you couldn't play cover music. You had to play. If you were if you were if you were in town, you had to play original music. So oh, man. it was very interesting how the things got divided out. So I was in a band when I was fourteen, and everybody else was, you know, a, a junior or senior in high school. And but we were playing, you know, Bad Company, Grand Funk, that oh, kind of stuff. Nice. Which you know, as now people refer to as classic rock, but it was just rock then because that right. was like they were the new records then. You know? right. I, I refer to it as the, the pre Freebird rock. Even if Freebird existed, the 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 cult of Freebird hadn't taken over yet. Oh, really? Okay. And I, I had nothing against Freebird, but it was just that thing where every band had to do it. You know, I, I got out right before that became the, the thing. Okay. Because um, okay. I'm not a good enough lead guitar player to pull it off, I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the thing nobody ever catches about Freebird is because growing up in New Jersey, you see a lot of bands cover it. Most any really good legal guitar player can play those riffs. It's actually the drummer that makes the difference. Oh, really? Because that solo goes on and on for a long time, and it's every, I think, eight bars that the drummer breaks up the rhythm of it. And that's what makes it exciting. Oh, okay. So when wow. you just have a guy go dot, 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 dot all the way through it, it's okay, but it's just kind of really, really, really all night, you know? Yeah. It, it falls I short of the original. Like Ernie and Emily. It's like, Ernie, Ernie, Emily, Emily, Ernie. <laughs> I never heard that before. But he said, I get kind of Ernie and Emily over there. I'm like, Ooh. 
I never thought of that. that never, I never did either, but yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> so I, I read that during one of these gigs, your drummer almost got into a, a, a pretty big yeah, mess. I think my second ever gig, we were playing a, uh, a party at somebody's house. I'm 14, so he's 16, maybe 17 at the most, our drummer. He's a junior in high school. And while we're playing, uh, a couple songs at the set, we're playing in this in this basement, and there's a sliding glass door to the, the backyard and pool behind us, and it's dark out and all. And we get done a song, and this guy is knocking on the glass door at our drummer kind of menacingly and waving a pistol. Whoa. And apparently, and he just had looked out, she goes, uh, play some acoustic songs. They went out there and settled something <laughs> and came back. And apparently he had been caught fooling around with this guy's wife, which he was only a junior in high school. Which oh. pretty, it was shocking and impressive at the same time. Yes. And he got away with it, too. So that was the thing. So, you know. Yeah, that doesn't fly anymore, does it? No, no, no. People are more going to have to use those guns quicker these days. <laughs> and then it's going to take a little more action when it, when it, with that wife and it was crazy and it was just and so like you know those are the kind of things that's very happy at gigs and you just kind of take them as you know uh, that's part of the job you know sometimes you know things go really crazy and you just keep playing oh gunplay that's you know yeah and you know i'm sorry the guy's got a gun but if you're dancing they're dancing they're gonna have to wait until they come to a song to shoot somebody i'm sorry (laughs) at what point did you move from playing covers into what we had mentioned a little earlier on is Tour managing because you started working with uh, Ben Vaughn. Yes, there's kind of a big jump in there. Like I was, I was playing as you know all through high school and in various cover bands and stuff. And then right towards the end of it, all, like I said, I was always a younger guy. So everybody was starting to graduate and go out into the the real world. Some been playing, some not. Okay. And everybody was kind of splintering. Um, I got really into punk rock because that happened. I was really got real obsessed with Patti Smith and television things like that. Ah, okay. and then. Other guys in the band got really into fusion. One guy got really into country. So it was just not, you know, everything just went separate ways. And I started going to a lot of, a lot of shows in Philly because the punk rock thing, everything was very accessible. You go to clubs and they didn't even necessarily card you or anything, which was really fun. <laughs> uh, and I played in some bands here and there and nothing really came anything. And then I kind of took a break for a few years and got into some very bad behavior that kind of took over everything. Uh-huh. And right as I was kind of coming out of that, I met Ben and in a record store and we, a mutual friend introduced us. We started talking, he was looking for a sound man and I really didn't know anything about running sound, but it was 1985 and he wanted somebody that he could train because right then at that point, club sound people were always putting gated reverbs on everything to make it sound like in the air tonight, oh. you know, oh. and our, the Ben Mon combos drum kit initially was a snare drum, a hi-hat and a hubcap. Oh, <laughs> that wow. was the entire drum kit. And they would still try to add all those effects to me. So I really got hired to just turn things off. Nice. <laughs> I was really hired as a police and just grew from there. You know? Nice. Uh, so I was doing that for a while, and, and it also became a really funny thing in that uh, I'm probably the only person you ever meet that got off hard drugs by going on tour with a band. <laughs> oh, wow. Because <laughs> they were just guys who drank beer and stuff, and I had to ha- I didn't know what I was doing. I had my wits about me, and I had to handle money and stuff. Yeah. So it was like, I was, oh, I have, to, I have a reason not to do this. So it, it, I, that was a really easy, quick way to clean up, oddly enough. And I spent about five years in a van. You know, um, I was... 
sound man and eventually road manager and whatever else needed to be done. It was really great. It was really fun. And I learned a lot. <laughs> so was this before you started playing back in bands again, uh, like drugs before breakfast and Delpez? This was right. Yeah. This was uh, right after I, I toured with Ben for about five years and I made one of those fatal errors of, Oh, I need to have a real life oh. kind of thing. So I tried doing that for a couple of years and, I, and it did not go well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mostly for the other people around me. And and then I started playing, I played in a band called, I hadn't, and I hadn't touched a guitar in a long time at that point. And a friend of mine named Peter Stone Brown, who was a Philadelphia uh, singer, songwriter, and a, and a music writer, he kind of coerced me into joining a band he had called the Fumblers just to play rhythm guitar. And out of that, I started playing with other people and I started playing with a drummer named Joe Ankenbrand, who had been a lot of like the early Philly punk bands and stuff. And we put this band together, just, uh, and he named, I have to say, called Drugs Before Breakfast, which is funny because <laughs> I just got clean and I was like, now I have a band called that. You know? right. I was like, uh, well, I can't invite my parents. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, but it, we, we only did a few gigs and then but we got, we got a lot of notice and then. I had it, still trying to keep this thing of a, of a quote unquote normal life. I just ill fated moved to Michigan to try and save a marriage that didn't work out. Uh, and when I moved back, that band reformed and it eventually morphed into a band called Del Pez. It was kind of less punk rock and more like what, what they used to call pub rock in England, which was a little more like uh, Nick Lowish, kind of, you know, his early band, Brinsley Schwartz, kind of more roots rock. Right. And then I started doing a lot of just out of wanting to do more. I started doing a lot of solo gigs and I moved to, I had this ill, another ill-fated move to California. <laughs> uh, only ill-fated, it was, I had a job waiting for me in uh, Joshua tree out in the desert, uh, but it was my move coincided with being two weeks after nine 11. And by the time I got out there, they didn't tell me they'd put a hiring freeze on everything. Oh. So I got all the way out there and literally had, no job or anything. So it was a, wow. it was a very strange time. But it, it actually in, in kind of started me up with a lot of writing again because I had this kind of, I was kind of stuck out in the desert for a couple of months so I could figure out what I was doing. And that led to my, um, a lot of songs are on my first record, Man from, Man from Out of State. Okay. He ain't saying from where he came. He's been walking for so long. And these cells all look the same It don't matter where he's been He ain't from around these ways Thirty days and he's out again He's the man out of state And because I was doing a lot of moving around, I kind of based everything on being able to be songs that I could play just by myself because I didn't know when I'd have a band or where I would or not. Oh, okay. So it kind of, everything has kind of shrunk, shrunk down in size because of that. I wanted to be able to represent what I was, you know, what I was finally doing as far as records go. Because I just, it took a long time I started recording. So I wanted to be able to, you know, like I said, I wanted to be able to represent them live as best right. I could. Well, I went back and I've listened to that, and I I love that song. That album's great, and that the title track is my favorite song. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was um, 
while written while I was stuck out there in the desert. And I literally, cause I was out there and then I didn't get the job. And then I had this really old Jeep and it died. <laughs> and I was, I literally like, I was, I was stuck at a friend's house, but he was working in Hollywood. He couldn't come out even to visit because he worked on so many TV shows doing music that oh, wow. I was literally pretty much completely by myself for almost three months. Oh, wow. And, and it was $50 to get a car, get a cab into town to get a, get groceries ready. I only did that once. Oh my God. <laughs> so that, that song came out of that and, um, re, and watching a lot of rerun, like my friend had a lot of VHS tapes of the original sixties TV show, the fugitive. So between all that, I think that's where the, the kind of the newer aspect of that song came out of. What I find really interesting is especially after listening to the, the new album that, You've you've got this roots rock sound, and see, man from out of state, and then you release five more albums in a similar style. But like, you'll never be a bird, which is apparently your third attempt to make that album. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. Sin, repent, repeat, gone, smoke and mirrors, and a concept album of Rosetta Please, which is a really interesting story. Thank you. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. It's, it's, it happens a lot with my writing because, because the Smoke and Mirrors album is also a concept album. Okay. And which is one of the reasons that the third album took so long. It was originally going to be that album and I couldn't figure out how to write it yet. Oh. So um, that's why one of the reasons I got made, that's one of the reasons it got made three times. Okay. Um, wow. But yeah, the, the Rosetta story is something that happened to me when I was probably, based on an incident that happened to me when I was probably, 21 years old, but I didn't write it for another 20 years. Cause I just, Oh really? Just want to say, I don't, you know, I, I am either, I either, I'm very fastidious about my concepts or I'm lazy as a writer, one or the other, <laughs> it's, it's, however you want to choose it. But I don't, I don't rush these things. Like uh, a good example is sin, repent, repeat. There's I think 13 songs on that. I was originally going to be a double album when we were doing it. Okay. And half of those songs are songs that I wrote, back when I still lived in New Jersey when I was in that band Del Pez. But oh. I never had rhythm section when I was living in Memphis to do those songs. So I never wanted to sacrifice the song to the to the wrong recording method, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I understand so that. that record, half of that record was from those songs. So half of those songs were like 20 years old, which felt like cheating. So on that record, anytime there was a, a, a we, I used an old song, I had to write a new song to balance it out. So Okay. I can understand that. I can totally get that. So yeah, I'm my, like I always say, my my writing room, is, my office is more like a chop shop than a writing room. It's like because I, I just piles of notebooks, and I'm like always going through old notebooks. Like that's a terrible song, but that one line isn't bad, you know. Wow. So and I'm too disorganized to put it all into a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we talked about that a little earlier, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> one of the things I've really enjoyed about all the music is your really direct, sharp, down to earth lyrics. It goes with the oh, music, but the lyrics are really relatable because they're so direct. Good, good. That's the whole idea. I mean, I'm just a guy from New Jersey that pretty much lied his way into graduating high school. So, like, <laughs> I can't leave any PhD. Like, my wife has a PhD in anthropology. I can't even spell PhD. You know? Oh, my gosh. My daughter would. <laughs> that's what my daughter's going to college for. It's a tough one to make a living at. That's that's what I told her. But yeah. she's. Uh, She's uh, going to Penn State for it. So, Oh, good. That's a good school for it. Actually. Yeah. So uh, one of my favorite examples uh, of your lyrical style is Prison Rodeo. 
concept record about a guy who was kind of my he was eventually became my one of my great mentors in life he's about 25 years older than me but he started out as my meth dealer so it's a very odd combination <laughs> he's also a convicted bank robber and there's that's how the prison radio thing because a lot of it was spent you know being up for three days at a time sitting around the table listening to stories wow. about this guy you know and it was you know and prison radio was pretty much based on just stuff he's told me over time and put it together into the song that's one of the songs i'm really really proud of it came out really pretty much exactly how i think i wanted it you know it's fantastic it's such a great story <laughs> but you know it helps when somebody gives you the story i you know it's like well I, okay. like, like man from out of state i i, I concocted on my own so, but prison yeah. radio there was yeah there was there was a story to base it on so yeah so you've got all these albums that are roots rock I don't want to say acoustic bass because you do have some some electric songs in there, some rocking songs. Oh yeah, I think there's a there's a thread building through them if you listen to them. Yes, it's not like it's not like I just you know one day, like I went to Newport and I went electric and everybody went crazy. Something you know. <laughs> now it's funny because when I started playing electric guitar again, people here in Memphis that knew me as a guy playing mostly acoustic guitar were kind of like wow, that's really different for you. And when I go home for years, people are like, when are you going to play electric guitar again? Yes. Yeah. So, cause it's just, it's all just perspective. And when you knew me and basically any song on the new record, I can play solo on an acoustic guitar. And that's, I mean, it really gets down to that because if you, if you do, if you can't do that, then you have a riff, not a song. <laughs> right, yeah. And, exactly. a, and a good riff is great, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if you can't just sit there and play on a guitar or piano or even a cappella or something, you know, then, then you don't really have a song. You just have a, a thing, you know. That's a good point. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. With the release of Fino Barbie Doll, would you say that you kind of focus more on the rock side of things? Is that more of a shift in focus for you? Well, two two things because of that. We, Fino Barbie Doll is funny. We recorded that while we were kind of working pretty hard on the Smoke and Mirrors record. And it was just, a, it had nothing to do with the concept of it. It was just a fun thing. Kind of just like blew the cobwebs off us when we were working on that. Okay. And then it was just there. And I thought, I oh, will put it out as a single someday. And I have a, an old friend longtime friend who is a DJ on Little Steven's Underground Garage um, named Palmyra Del Ram. I've known her for a, a long, long time. She's from South Jersey originally. And that station has passed on all my records that I've ever sent them. They, it's too country, or if I send it to the Outlaw Country Station, which they also own, it's too rock. Uh. So I, really, I really wasn't even thinking about that, but Fino Barbie Doll was just, it has this total like 
1972, 73 T-Rex glamour thing. Yes. And my friend Palmyra is one of the world's biggest T-Rex fans and always has been uh-huh. since they were a new band. So I just sent it to her on a whim because I thought she would get a kick out of it. And she was like, oh, no, we're playing this. Oh, <laughs> yeah. nice. So that's how that started. You know, and it's this very up-tempo, fun song. And I do have to say that at some point, like I don't disavow anything I've done before. I stand by it all. Mm-hmm. But it did not go unnoticed that the most up-tempo, toe-tapping thing, kind of fun thing I did was also the thing that got the most notice. <laughs> so it was like, you know, and, you know, it's fun to get people toe-tapping and up and dancing, you know. So yeah. it's like, and it's also a thing of, you know, I've done this other thing a lot. You know, it's all there, and I'm not turning my back on it. I'm not disavowing it or anything. Right. But it's just like, like on the new record, there's a song uh, on Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballad, there's a song called Beaumont. Yeah. That I'm really happy with. It probably has one of the bigger productions we've ever done. But we could have easily done that as just an acoustic based song, but it, it would probably sound very similar to several things I've already done. Right. So. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, it's as much to keep it interesting for us as anybody else. If, okay. if we're interested, I think it, it makes the listener more interested. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. they feed off of that energy loop and it feeds back to us. So it wasn't a conscious decision. It's like, you know, we're going to rock from now on, gentlemen. It was just, <laughs> it was just like, oh, that felt good. Let's do more of that, maybe, if anything. I don't think it was anything that conscious. And the new album, Cast Iron Songs, it was weird that the um, the Smoke and Mirrors record, the week it came out was also the same week the country shut down. Wow. And so, uh, you know, our tour was, we had a big tour that was all canceled. Yeah. And it was also, as it was happening, we had a health crisis here at home. And it was not COVID related, but it got very, it's been very cons- all consuming, especially the first two years of it. So, I really didn't have any time that I was thinking about writing or recording or anything. And I what I really didn't wasn't even thinking about any of that. And I as things started to ease up a little bit, I got this nineteen fifty nine Dan Electro 
convertible electric guitar I bought online just on a whim, which I've never done before. I tried to be really great. And all of a sudden I started noticing, like I said, like just things, lines that were just kind of randomly written down or I put it in my phone. I didn't remember ever writing it or coming up with that. So I just started putting everything into one giant like notebook and then going, oh, well, that line will go with that line there and turning to your okay. And also I had to start to songs. But because of the the pandemic and everything, we, we recorded our drummers. He has a studio in his back house where we rehearse. We've okay. done the last probably three or four records there. So we only had very short periods of time available where we all could get together. And we're not the kind of band to like phone in our parks. We like playing together, you know. So the, all the basic tracks for Cast Iron Songs were recorded in four two-hour sessions. Oh, wow. It's a very live record because that's that was the available time I had or other people had. So also that kind of neg- negated a lot of the uh, introspective acoustic-based things in some ways that way because it was just, we were just knocking it out. And like, I would just send them, I'd record a demo of the song on my phone and send it to the guys like that week that we were getting together, send them two songs and we would just do it. And then the last day we had a little extra time. They're like, do you have anything else? And I was, I didn't, but I had an idea for something. So there's a song on the album called In For A Penny. And that is, other than the maracas and the harmonies, what you hear on that record is completely live the second take, including the lyrics, which is making it went along, thinking I would change it later. And oh. it's also pretty funny because Robert Mache, our, who's my co-producer and the, the gen, mostly the lead guitar player, most of the songs, we recorded such a small space that his amp is in the bathroom of our recording space. It's near. He can hear it, but I, we don't play with, he- with headphones when we record. I never hear what he's playing. And so we go back and listen to it. Like, wow, that's really cool. But I have no idea what he's doing. Oh, that is awesome. It's crazy. It's like, he's, but he's just that good. You know, he, huge fan of his for I first saw him play with a guy named Steve Wynn. Oh, uh, I love Steve Wynn. Dream Syndicate. Yeah, I was a big huge Dream Syndicate fan. When Steve Wynn went solo, Robert was the lead guitar player on his first two albums and toured with him for quite a few years. Oh, and I wow. saw him playing with Steve in Philly in 1991 and I was like that guy's one of my favorite guitar players and like 20 years later or whatever, he walks into this coffee shop in Memphis that I'm working at and I was like, oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and now we're in a band together. So I was that like, it's amazing. Yeah, it is really amazing because, like I said, it was if I had a list of three top guitar players that I've seen live to, that I could actually pick from, he was in that top three, certainly. I remember I, around that time, I don't know, it was early to mid-90s, I saw Steve Wynn live. I was living in New Jersey at the time. I just I can't remember where it was. 
Damn it. He was on guitar, you know. And then then, then he joined uh, there's a band called the Continental Drifters. He was in them. Okay, was, I've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they were kind of like a early Roots Rock kind of super group. Cause it's funny because they're doing um, a reunion gig at Jazz Fest this year in New Orleans. Oh, cool. All based in New Orleans because it was, it was Robert's in it. It was Peter Holsapple from the DBs. Uh, Susan Calsill from the Calsills wow. and Vicky Peterson from the Bangles and Mark Walton, who was the bass player in the Dream Syndicate. Oh my gosh. Because the Dream Syndicate just did a European or a UK tour a couple weeks ago and Vicky became their lead guitar player for that tour. Oh, really? Yeah, because her and Steve, I think, were roommates before either of their bands happened or anything. <laughs> so it's just kind of looped and I'm now have kind of a, a sideways way into it now it's funny you're a relative i came up like just worshiping you know, i was i mean i was a huge castle fans as a kid it was a real full circle moment <laughs> that is awesome well i did want to ask you about one song before we get in, into the new album because oh, sure. i love i listen to it i love crack home <laughs> that yeah, that's song is so of, amazing of, of, uh, live favorites funny because i recently did a solo version of that a solo gig and a friend of mine has heard it a million times he went you know i never noticed how dark that song is yeah. <laughs> so like yeah it was all the fanfare around it um yeah that's gonna really yeah the, the story with that's funny another good example of how if i get a good line i won't rush it is that the second day i was living in memphis so that's 20 years ago i was walking around downtown i think it was beale or maine or something like that and this very drunk guy stumbling by me and on a white t-shirt, it was just scrawled with a Sharpie. It just said, it's not a crack house. It's a crack home. And I was like, well, that's a song. That's but I never had, to, I never had, you know, cause I never knew what to do with it, but I had it in my notebook. And a few years later, it just went, Oh, from the kid's perspective and a house home. Okay. That's where I would use that. So. That is awesome. Oh, man. see, I mean, it pays off to just hold on to some of this stuff. Well, yeah, because it, it probably if I wrote it that day, and I probably could have, but it would have been probably a funny song. Yeah. And just that. And this way, it is, I think it has a lot more um, layers to it the way it is. Absolutely. It's, because you can, can have fun. Because when we do it live, like, it's a sing-along right, or a shallow-along. Because, yeah, the, the chorus keeps repeating more each time. You know? right. yeah, people love to do that. Yeah, And we did that. Like, when we started doing that live before we recorded it, it already caught on like that. So we, on the, the studio recording, yeah, there's a bunch of people that were just fans of ours that used to do that at shows. We brought them over after a gig to, to record it. So they became wow. known as the, uh, I think they're credited as the, the Von Crack family singers. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other really weird thing on that song is there's that chant at the end. You know, it's a fact nobody wants to know you if you live like that, but it's two nine-year-old kids singing it. Really? Yes. Yes. It was um, Robert and Candace, uh, who also sings with his wife. It was one of their, it was their kid and one of their friends' kid. 
Oh my God. And we just did a couple of tries. So it's got this kind of like children of the corn thing. Yeah. And the funny thing, the kid's idea. Oh, really? <laughs> it would be really cool if we did this here. Like, wow, that would be. <laughs> you kids are born producers. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky they were too young to want to want points on it. Right. <laughs> so you've got the new album out, Cast Iron Songs and Torch Ballads, and you've mentioned a few songs that are on there, and the ones you've mentioned are the ones that I love the most. There's Beaumont. I am. Uh, I keep coming to that. That that or um, Baby Lux running out. Are yeah, one of those two are my favorites. It just kind of depends on when I'm listening, but those are the two that I absolutely love the most. I'm not the kind of run into a fire. There's better ways to be burned. You can help someone else if they won't help themselves. At least that's what I've learned. That's what I have learned. I might know why. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Even though they're very different songs, the same, and they're nothing, they're not true stories necessarily at all, but the same person kind of inspired both songs. Oh, really? Yes. Who both said, yeah, they're not the most flattering portraits. And I was like, <laughs> well, you, you can't spell muse without use. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I like that. Yeah. I've never heard that yeah. one before. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's funny because the Beaumont thing, the chorus of it, it was real. It was a friend of mine who's, every, you know, shows up every now and then needing help in a situation. Right. And but it was actually San Antonio they were trying to get to. But I was like, yeah, it does. San Antonio uh, is a dance hall town. It's not. It's it's not going to sound desperate enough. So it right. came but some reason. <laughs> um, I needed a dustier town, you know, and. Um, Baby, your luck's running bad. And that's the funny. That's actually the first thing got written for the record in a way. It wasn't written for the record, but it's the first thing got written in like two years. And that there's a, a a literary group in Los Angeles called Library Girl. Okay. A woman named Susan Hayden runs. And uh, it's a, a writer's collective thing. And every month they do this performance of a theme and they'll read something by certain writers. And there's usually musical things that go with it. And I, I performed at it before when I was in California. Uh, on tour and but they were down they were doing video stuff during lockdown like stream stuff oh. so she asked me to contribute a song and the theme was pre-haze code bad girls of the movies oh wow yeah so i was like <laughs> and i was yeah i was looking at some of those movies and i was trying to get somebody now and i thought of the right person and i could kind of incorporate that in with and that's the song that came out of it so i recorded just a solo electric guitar vocal version of it and we did a video for it and uh that got posted and then we decided to use it on the record and it was really nice because it's it's probably the best vocal i've ever done which i've never said about anything it's like this is the first album and i'm not saying i sing good on it but I'm, it's the first album where at the last the very last minute i didn't beg robert can i just re-record all the vocals <laughs> please <laughs> he's like no you're done you know well, Baby Lux Running Bad is so soulful. It's got that like a blue-eyed soul feel to it. And I love I love it. And it's one of those things where it's funny because Robert didn't notice it until he was mixing it and having to hear it over and over again. One day he just called me up and was like, This is your really meanest song. <laughs> <laughs> like that person's not a nice person. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's something in my in Mike's catalog. But, yeah, no kidding. That's the thing I like that 
the really pretty melody and the chords and there's the vibes on it and all. Yeah. But something very bad is going down in it. Like there's that dichotomy. It works. It it is, and it's like I said, and, and Beaumont is just Beaumont sounds like it would be just a blast to play live. Yeah, we've done it live once now, and it was really fun. And I can't, I can't wait to do it more and get used to it. Because the funny thing is, also, like I said, because the way we record this record in my free time has been until recently has been very minimal. We recorded, like I said, we recorded that record in eight hours, basically, and then some overdubs and mixing. And we, other than Beaumont, we haven't played any of those songs live yet. Oh, really? Because, <laughs> yeah, we decided we were going to do it on vinyl and all, and the wait is so long. Yeah. We didn't want to burn ourselves out with it. We weren't really gigging because it wasn't really where to gig for a long time. True. That it's just like, like now it's funny because several of my band members are off doing other tours right now or, or other musical things with other people. So it's like we have to meet up sometime next month to learn the record. Oh. <laughs> Like I'm spending every night relearning the record just to make sure I, I don't want to be the guy that comes in and doesn't know it the the most and the guy that wrote the song. <laughs> he gets names on the album. So I like spend every night like like this week is like I'm gonna really hunker down on the first side. You know. <laughs> you mentioned in for a penny earlier too. I love that beat. It's got a Bo Diddley type of beat. And that's really that's exactly what, what how it, like I said we had some leftover time when we were recording and they were like Do you got anything else and I was like Bo Diddley beat and F sharp. <laughs> and, they, or, and that was it, yeah. I remember wow. a friend of mine later when I told him that story, he goes, man, your band must hate you. I'm like, why? He goes, who wants to play lead on Bo Diddley and F-Sharp? <laughs> like, I, I didn't, didn't bother Robert. He couldn't even hear his amp. Yeah. <laughs> He's being fine with it. And the other one that, that kind of stood out for me because, just because of, it, it's going to, okay, so this is going to sound, may sound a little weird, but sort it all out. Uh-huh. I really liked it because it sounds kind of like like Gary Glitter and Norman Greenbaum met yes. and, and wrote yes. a song, but I that I like because I like I don't mind the music from Rock and Roll Part Two, and I don't mind the music from Spirit in the Sky, but I don't like the vocals on either song. <laughs> but I like this because it's I like the vocals on this, and I like that it's like, like those two songs met and had a kid. That's exactly the case. And it's that's funny because the Norman Greenbaum part is actually me doing it. Oh, cool. Robert was on tour. He was in Europe. He tours a lot with a woman named Dana Kurtz. Great, okay. really great songwriter. He was on tour with her. And like, we'll put this stuff down, just an idea, and he'll do a better version of it. Okay. And he came, like, no, that's done. I'm like, really? No. That- <laughs> <laughs> and the funny part is what I'm really going for, Yeah. more than Spirit in the Sky, is if you know the song magic by the cars yes he does a tribute to spirit in the sky in that or led city there's a uh, one part is like 
upside down. And he's obviously, so I'm actually mimicking him, mimicking Norman Greenbaum from oh, being Oh, that's so cool. I never, Just to give props where it's due. That is <laughs> And, you know, and as far as Gary Glitter and vocals go, you know, it's probably no mistake that, or no accident, the only hit he ever had is the instrumental B-side where he yells, hey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, you don't really want to name check Gary Glitter a lot these no, days. No, no, not yeah, but, all. But that was like, it was funny because that just became like, the, you know, the song at every sporting event for years, too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Until... I, I remember trying to reference that to a band member when I was first living here, and they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, you watch sports? And I'm like, yeah. And I remember saying, oh, that song, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> and the other song is All That Matters Now. That is uh, it's such a great, like, very tender song on an album that's that's filled with rocking songs. It's, it's just a very, very tender song. I really enjoy that. I should wake up and this is all just a dream Hope I forget all these things I've seen Just remember what you mean to me Cause that's all that matters now Yeah, that's all that matters now It's probably my first, uh, definitely my first love song without a get out clause in the last verse. And I was very worried about that because it's like, you know, it's, it's a really true based thing on us uh, between me and my wife. And yeah, like I said, we've had this health thing going on for yeah. quite a while. And, um, you know, all of that is definitely true. That song, you know, but it's funny, my drummer's wife, when she she was driving around listening to like a, he burned her a CD the record when we first got it done yeah, yeah. and she's she like sent me a text while she goes you're writing love songs and that's right you're writing love songs that aren't mean <laughs> I was like well you know like yeah hey so yeah so that's not really um and it's funny because to me I worried that song was too specific to our world and then. Robert was like, no, because I think anybody who doesn't know the specifics of your situation could just hear it as a love song. And he goes, I, he goes yeah, if somebody in Nashville heard it, they might actually record it as just a love song. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so so it was good to have an outside perspective on that because I might not have put it on, not because it was because uh, it wasn't a rock song, but because I might have thought it was too specific. But that's the thing, when you're writing it, you know, it's like, you know, you can't see the picture if you're in the picture. Exactly. Like like you mentioned, I'm not aware of the the situation. So to me, it just comes across as a as a beautiful love song. So it, good, I did my job. Then yes. <laughs> so you mentioned that all of your band is out working with other people right now. When are you planning on taking this on tour? We're going to do a brief uh, East Coast run in June. Oh, nice. Uh, we're doing right now. We have like three things, but yeah, we're doing um, a place. Uh, we're doing the Parkside Lounge in New York City on Houston Street Okay, on June 9th. And we're doing a place called 118 North on the mainline area of Philadelphia in Wayne on June 11th. Okay. I think we're doing a private thing in Pittsburgh the next night. I'm still 
hustling. We had we had some rerouting things and some gigs fell through. So I'm trying scrambling, trying to get some stuff on the way there and back. We're playing Nashville on June 14th. That's the last night of that run. Okay, and then probably uh, hopefully in the fall we'll be doing more. Oh, good. Like yeah, that was, that was going to be my next question. Is uh, you plan on expanding on that? So that's good. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's just. You know, it's very, booking is really hard since the pandemic. Well, you know, like the places that, were, that could, that were lucky enough to stay open, they got to make money every night. They're trying to make up things and they're just less likely to take a, take a chance on somebody they don't know who they are or they can't yeah. sorry, guarantee a draw. You know? yeah. So it's, it's rough out there. It's getting, you know, you're, it's a lot of people are looking at more alternative, like we might be playing a, a private event in Pittsburgh playing in a beauty shop. Oh, wow. But that's fine. You know, Hey, yeah. didn't I, mean, with that. Uh, I played, I played a duo gig 15, you know, about 10 years ago in Roanoke, Virginia, just me and Robert playing a two, two guitar vocal duo gig in a yarn store in Roanoke, Virginia. And I'm now married to the woman who owned the store. Oh, wow. So, you don't want to turn down any gig. The, the, the weirder gigs can sometimes be the most fruitful in the long run. That's so true. That's awesome. Well, I live a little outside of D.C., so if you guys come down my way, I would love to see a show. So. Where are you at? I live in Winchester. Okay. Yeah, so, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get something in D.C. right now, actually. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, if you've got, you got any suggestions, let me know. Oh, man, I've got a bunch. I'll text you after this, shoot me an email, and I'll send you a Great. list. That would be great. I would really appreciate that. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So where can people find the album? How can they buy it and help support you until you tour? Oh, the best bet is to uh, get it on Bandcamp. It's a, it should be or will be up on all the streaming services very shortly. It's out just on vinyl and uh, and streaming services. You know, okay. we, it, we It was one of those things where you had to make a decision between are we going to buy, are we going to make it on vinyl or CD? And I was going back and forth and like, you can't get a straight answer out of anybody about either one. So yeah. a friend of mine said, why don't you put it out how you want to experience it, which is a vinyl. So, so yeah, so it, um, it's out yeah, now nice. Order from Bandcamp. We send it to you ourselves. If you wanted uh autograph or anything like that, just include a note on there. We do, we'll do that for you. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, actually just a day or two after we, after you order it. And uh, like I said, it's up on all the streaming services. Uh, there's a video for the song Start Again. Uh, right now it's on Americana Highways exclusively. And I think sometime this week it'll go full, full you know, uh, global everywhere. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I, most of all of my older stuff is up on, um, all of it's up on Spotify and all those uh, sites there. But yeah, buying it, buying it from the artist, or in this case, Bandcamp, is really the best way that we get the most. And there's also that Bandcamp Friday, the the first Friday of every month and you get all the money, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's nice. It's, it's Bandcamp started to be a really good deal that like really bloomed during the pandemic. Yes, it was really everybody. did. Yeah, that was so, awesome. Yeah, that's really, that's really your, your, my my suggested way to get it. But anyway, or even better, come to a gig and buy it from us. We'll hand it to you right there and sign it in front of you. Well, speaking of that, is there a social media presence where people can follow you and learn about gigs? Yeah, we have a website at danmontgomerymusic.com, uh, although it's kind of understaffed right now. We're, uh, the guy who works on it is away right now, so that's a little... But just Facebook is, is always your best bet. There's, yeah, there's a Dan Montgomery, just, just a Dan Montgomery music page, and that's I'm trying to get that up to up to snuff with uh, looking more like a, a 
substitute for a real web page in the meantime. <laughs> All right. Uh, either the DM Montgomery pages, the sites, the, uh, the dates will all be up on there. And any, uh, yeah, well, I'll be posting when this this airs and stuff like that. Um, right now we're in it, we're in this like media blitz, which I've never had before. So it's like, I'm almost kind of, I'm almost kind of embarrassed to be posting things, but it's like, uh, I was, I was, I was thrashing around for stuff in the past. So I'll take it. You know? Yeah. Hey, repetition is what sticks, man. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny. I finally figured out what an influencer is. Oh, because, <laughs> because, um, we have a guy who, uh, there's a guy who's our, who's our, who's our, my plumber, right? And he's, okay. he, him and his wife are really hip people here in Memphis, the Memphis, like garage rock scene, right? Oh, okay. In fact, he's so hip, he's not even on Facebook or anything, right? Oh. But I've known him for years. He came and he had to work on something in our house and I gave him a copy of the album on the way out, you know? Yeah. So it was like last week and a couple of days ago, he sent me a text saying how much he really liked the record, you know, and it's very, he's Australian. So it's very Australian, you know, Hey mate, you know, like, right. it was really great. I was really touched. You know? And then a couple of days later, his wife put this thing up on Facebook going like, wow, you've really hit it out of the park. And I swear to God, like within a half an hour, five like really Memphis midtown hipsters ordered the record. They would, they'd have always kind of dismissed me as being like, Oh, I thought you were more like Dan Fogelberg or something. You know? Oh, <laughs> so I, was, and I, I looked at my wife. I was like, "That's what an influencer is." Yes, that's what they do. Now I get it. I gotta meet those people. Yeah, really. I, I could use them too. <laughs> and, and good plumbing. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. literally win-win. Exactly. There's a lot of publishers out there. A lot, you know, many are good, but there's not a lot of good pub, good plumbers. That's true. That is so true. <laughs> Uh, Dan, thank you. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for... for oh, man, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. Everything you knew has changed. Things you used to do now seem so strange. And everything just hurts. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. 
FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 